This is the Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman. Brought to you by the Academy of Dental CPAs. Whether it's taxes, investing, or planning wisely, Art is your guide to make your dental practice as profitable as possible. Here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman, CPA. And that's me. My name's Art Wiederman. I'm a dental-specific CPA. My practice is located in Southern California in the city of Tustin, uh, probably about 15 to 20 minutes from Disneyland and about the same amount of distance between my office and the beach. Um, it's a beautiful day here in Southern California. I'd probably rather be by the beach, so that's where we are. And today, I have a real special treat for you. One of my dear, dear friends in the dental profession, uh, Kate Williford, who is a fellow dental CPA and who is actually the vice president of the Academy of Dental CPAs. So she told me I had to be nice to her because if not, she would vote me off the island because she's on the board of our group. Uh, She is our guest today, and I've known Kate for well over 20 years. She is one of the most passionate people that I know about helping dentists. Um, She works with her team uh, with over 400 dentists. And we're going to have some interesting conversation today. We're going to talk about entrepreneurship. Now, I want to start out by giving you a little definition of entrepreneurship uh, off of Wikipedia. And we know that Wikipedia is always right in their definitions. Entrepreneurship is the process of designing, launching, and running a new business, which is often initially a small business. The people who create these, these businesses are called entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurship has been described as, quote, the capacity and willingness to develop, organize, and manage a business venture along with any of its risks in order to make a profit. While the definitions of an entrepreneurship typically focus on the launching and running of a business, due to high risks involved in launching a startup, a significant portion of the startup business have to close due to either lack of funding, bad business decisions, an economic crisis, lack of market demand, or a combination of all of these. So we at the Academy of Dental CPAs are very passionate about uh, procuring and helping the dental profession continue entrepreneurship and the ownership of the private practice. And that's something that, that again, we are very passionate and about. And Kate and I are going to talk about that today. And we're also going to talk a little bit, folks, about what happens in dentistry kind of from going out of school and what Kate sees. Kate lectures nationally. Um, and, uh, you know, she talks to dentists all the time. In fact, um, uh, Kate, as I said, is the vice president of the Academy of Dental CPAs. Uh, again, I'll tell you about us in a second. Uh, she's a member of the Academy of Dental Management Consultants, the Speaking and Consulting Network. And she's also a contributing author for Dental Economics, The Progressive Dentists, and many others. So Kate is well-versed in the world of dentistry. And again, I, I am very proud to call her my dear friend. So Kate Williford, welcome to the Art of Dental Finance. Thank you so much for having me, Art. I'm thrilled to be here and especially to be talking about entrepreneurship. I teach at some of the dental schools across the country, and this is one of the major themes that we talk about in my classes because it is very possible for young dentists to buy practices and have independent practices, and we really want to encourage that. 
And, and that is what we want to do. And we're going to talk about that on the program, but I want to give you some information first. Uh, I want to let you know if you want to get a hold of me in my office in Southern California, you have a question, a suggestion for a, a show, uh, give me a call at 714-259-0505. Our website at our CPA firm is www.hmwccpa.com. Um, and if you go to the resources section of our website, and then you click on podcasts, you can download all of the podcasts. Uh, well, not all at one time. You'd probably get a little overwhelmed, but one at a time you can download them and you can listen to them. Uh, and again, uh, I, I sound like a broken record. I do apologize for that. But folks, if you are not working with a dental-specific CPA uh, like Kate Williford, you should be. And if you're looking for one, go to our website, which is www dot a-d-c-p-a dot org. So that's our, our information. And usually I give a tip of the week, but since we have a lady who is much smarter than I, I'm going to let her give the tips. Okay. What's your tip of the week? Art, my tip of the week is that you can be paying your kids or your grandkids out of your practice and oftentimes taking a much larger tax deduction than you realize. With the new tax law, if your kids or grandkids are working for the practice, you can pay them up to $12,000 a year, and oftentimes they will not have to pay any taxes on that income. In some states, they might have to pay a little bit of state taxes. So in order to take advantage of this tax deduction, I recommend that you have a job description on file, and you also keep track of the hours that they work for you. But the beauty of paying your kids or grandkids through the practice is that you're creating earned income for them. And with that earned income, you could set up a Roth IRA for them. This is a great way to save for their future because you're choosing to set aside this money for them that will grow tax-free for them for forever. That's right. And and folks, you can, I had, had one dentist who said to me, well, my best dental assistant is my kid. I said, how old is your kid? He said, seven. I said, really? I said, I hope he has big hands to be able to hold all those instruments to hand to you. And he said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I haven't had a lot of luck lately with my assistants. But yes, putting your children on the payroll, especially with this new tax law, is a, a, a great, great thing. So let's get to our topic today. And again, I, I've known Kate, and you actually, if you've been listening to our podcast series, you heard um, her dad, Rick Williford. Um, who is the uh, owner of a company called Dentometrics that does a uh, dental dental dashboard for the metrics of a dental practice. So Kate is uh, Rick's daughter. And I've known Kate probably you know 15 or 20 years. And we talk all the time. And she's had a very interesting journey as being a dental CPA. So Kate, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey as to how you got to be where you are today? Well, thanks for asking, Art, because I have a very unique dental CPA firm because we are 100% virtual. We really believe in creating flexibility for the dentists that we work with so that they're able to listen to information from us and see information from us anytime they want to on demand and also be able to meet with us from any location. In fact, I have some clients I've been doing mid-year tax projection meetings with that have been meeting with me from their vacation homes or from their lake house. So it's nice that no one has to get stuck in traffic to have meetings with us. And so, you know, my dad started the firm about 44 years ago in Atlanta, and I've been doing this about 23 years. So Rick and I worked together for a long time in our Roswell location. 
And then uh, we started believing in creating the quality of life for our team and wanted our team to be able to raise their families just like I wanted to do with my own family. And so we started adding work from home days and uh, then decided to go 100% virtual. And in the meantime, I guess about a year ago now, I merged firms with Deborah Lane, who has the ADCPA firm in Lone Tree, Colorado. And so now we work together with dentists in over 23 states. And we have about 15 team members that work for us around the country. So we're able to cover every time zone and help our clients in the most meaningful ways when it's important to them. Yeah. And Deborah is one of my dear friends in the dental CPA uh, group. And uh, I felt really bad for Deborah. She, uh, at the ADCPA, every member takes a turn putting on a meeting. I put on a meeting uh, about two years ago in uh, almost three years ago now in Huntington Beach. Um, And um, uh, Deborah put a meeting on up in the mountains uh, up above uh, Denver. Do you remember the city it was in? It was. Uh, it was up at the Stanley Hotel. At the Stanley Hotel. It was up. And I'll, I'll remember the name of it. But anyway, and I felt really bad because it it takes a lot of work to put on a meeting for fifty or seventy five people with vendors and speakers, and unfortunately, the the head guy at the hotel comes in and says, "Everybody, our meeting is over. Uh, there's a blizzard coming in the next two hours, and if you don't leave now, you won't get out." So. Uh, as we walked out through the deer and the the moose that were out there or whatever it was, we all had to leave. So I felt really bad for Deborah, but Deborah's a wonderful, wonderful lady. And um, uh, again, you know, Kate lectures all over the place and uh, she's the vice president of our CPA group. And she is a, uh, she again has a passion on entrepreneurship. So let me start the discussion with you, Kate, talking about, um, you know, let's talk about why it, you know, we talked about the definition of it, but how do you see it? Why is it important? And what do you tell your doctors about it? Well, I think the business of dentistry has really been changing over the last few years. We've seen more dentists become wiser in business. We've seen more dentists want to form partnerships as a way to be able to help even more patients, but in affordable ways where they can have some bulk purchasing and things like that. Uh, You know, we've really seen changes in the risk of becoming a dentist in the sense that they're coming out with more student loan debt than they've ever had before and in a more competitive market. Now it's required that you're doing a lot of marketing or that you're signing on with some insurance plans or that you're creating unique ways to have a fee-for-service practice. So I think... Talking about entrepreneurship is important because, you know, a lot of the students in my classes in dental school are afraid that their only option will be to work for corporate dentistry for their entire lives. And I think corporate dentistry can be an excellent place for some dentists to work, and that can be the right fit for someone for their entire career. But I want to make sure that dentists realize that it's very possible to have their own independent practice to create the vision that they want and to provide the health care that they want to provide to their patients and do it in such a way where they can create a rewarding business that they can continue to develop over many years. And that, that's a great point, Kate. And, and I think the things, doctors, that you have to think about, especially if you're in dental school, you're working as an associate, uh, whatever you're doing, I think what you need to do is you need to basically sit in a quiet room, close your eyes. A glass of wine is certainly acceptable. Mine is Pinot, as I've told you before. And just think about what what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you want to own a business? 
owning a business is an amazing responsibility. I was the managing director of the financial services division of the Pride Institute. And I worked for Jim Pride and Dr. Phil Whitener. And those of you who have been in dentistry for many, many years, I know those names. And I was an employee for five years. And the day that I signed the contract to buy the division and turned it into Wiederman and Associates, my entire mantra changed. I now had the mantra of a business owner and I was going to take over the world. But as Kate very aptly said, you know, uh, the large national dental companies that have hundreds of offices, for many of you, that is a great choice. But, you know, entrepreneurship is uh, very important. Now, Kate, we talked about PPOs. And uh, we, we talk about a lot of this in the in the the dental CPA group and in our meetings. And what's been your experience with clients who take on a lot of PPOs in their practice? Well, that's a great question. Usually, I find that when you join a lot of the PPO plans, then you're working longer hours to make the same amount of revenue that you would have if you were seeing a smaller patient base. And if it was fee for service, because you're usually making less money per patient. So I typically find that you have at least a 10% write-off and oftentimes usually more of a 15% write-off on that production. But, you know, I think what's really important is for dentists to think about what type of practice do they really want to have? Because I believe that your practice is just a vehicle to help you achieve the quality of life you desire and whatever income you need to support that quality of life. So some of the dentists that I talk with really aren't sure if they want to have a PPO practice, if they want to work by themselves, or if they want to have partners. And so I really encourage them to do exactly what you said, sit in a quiet room or maybe talk with your spouse and really truly think about how much headache you want, how much ownership you want to have, how many employees you want to have, and frankly, how much money do you really need to make? I have some dentists that have such a low standard of living that they would be fine with a very small practice and very low headache and a few employees. But then I have other clients who really do want to build a much larger uh, practice with sometimes multiple locations and multiple partners, and they really thrive on that type of environment. So let's talk about that for a second, is, is multiple practices. I, I know that at the California Dental Association Convention, Kate, uh, for the last couple of years, they've had a course on uh, multiple practice ownership, and they sell out within minutes, literally a couple hundred people. And so you, you've got some clients that own multiple practices or that want to own multiple practices. And do, do you see some uh, you know, mistakes that some of these people make? And if someone wants to own multiple practices, what kind of planning should they do before they start building their empire? Yes, I do work with a lot of clients that have multiple practices. And one of our first steps is to talk about what they want the long-term vision to be of the practice set that they're building because that determines what the entity structure should be. So we really spend time thinking about, are they going to want multiple owners at some point? And if so, are they wanting to build more of a model where they're selling a percentage of the entire group of practices? Or do they want to sell percentages of individual locations? So I think it's important to create the right entity structure that you can really grow with and make sure that you can add multiple S-corporations if that's appropriate, 
or you might want to have a management company that is going to have some involvement in the companies. You might want non-dentists as partners in the future, and that would determine the structure as well. So I think deciding the structure is going to be key. And then also making sure that you have solid contracts with operating agreements that clarify how you're going to pay the other doctors that may be working with you or maybe owners with you. You know, sometimes I hear clients tell me they want to keep the structure as simple as possible. And while I agree with that, I also find that they want to be able to pay each other differently based on who does the production and what level of production they're doing. And sometimes that requires a more detailed contract or even a different type of entity to be able to create that flexibility. And, you know, I've, I've also seen, I've seen every, as I'm sure you have, I've seen every partnership model out there. I've also seen some partnership models where they just split things 50-50. And I've also seen models where the one dentist overdraws because he or she has a higher falutin. By the way, falutin, that is a technical term that we use in the ADCPA. I couldn't spell it for you, but we use it. A higher falutin lifestyle than anybody else. And they have to draw more money because they have to pay for their lifestyle. And then the other doctor resents it. So talk about some of the things in a partnership that people, if they want to go into partnership, what should they be thinking about, you know, just from a, a management standpoint, a personality standpoint, you know, those types of things? Yeah, you know, you're right. I think from a management standpoint, you do need to make sure that everything is going to be fair and that the partners have the same core values and ethics and also even the same type of treatment plans they want to offer patients. So I think it's important to think about how you're going to share the money. So for instance, if there's $100,000 sitting in the bank account, who does that belong to? You want to be able to look at profit splits and know exactly who might have overdrawn the bank account in essence compared to what they should have been paid and who is deserving of the money that's in the bank account. Um, you know, even transitions can be difficult when you start looking at equity and the equity differences between the partners. And so you want to make sure that it's kept fair at all times and that you have a CPA, an independent person looking at these numbers during the year so that a partner can't question how the money has been split and if things have been handled correctly and according to the operating agreement. Oh, that's all great. That's all great advice. And yeah, you know, the other thing that's important as an entrepreneur, uh, the problem is, is you know, you, you go out and you buy a dental practice. You know, you and I both uh, are owners of accounting practices. You own a business, so you know we we are the HR person. We're the marketing person. Uh, we're the actual the person that has to do pro- the production. If you go to work for Google, they have a marketing department, they have an HR department, they have a sales department, and everybody does what they do. But we, as CPAs and our listeners as dentists, they don't. They have to do all of this. So um, I, I know it's important uh, to be able to have all these skills, but but how important is it to find like experts to help you in areas of like HR and marketing? Talk a little bit about that. You know, that reminds me of an excellent book that's still a few years old now, but the E-Myth book is just a classic book about entrepreneurship and how difficult it is sometimes to be wearing the right hat, if you will, to make the decision that you need to make at the time. And I think finding key advisors that can be on your team to help are so important. 
You know, one of the biggest challenges that I see in dentistry right now is a lack of mentorship and a lack of leadership. You know, there are consultants that are amazing at helping you learn how to become a leader, how to really talk and communicate well with employees, how to help them grow within your organization. And I think even for a solo practice, it's really important to learn those skills So I think oftentimes hiring a practice management consultant is very worthwhile. Having the right advisors on your team that help you review the finances of the business and look at them in real time. You should be able to look at your financials each month to then make better financial decisions during the month so that you're really creating a competitive business and that you're making sure to pay yourself first that you're able to create enough revenue in the practice to, again, be able to afford that quality of life style that you need. Absolutely. And and let's talk a little bit now about leadership because I'm a big proponent of leadership. And um, we had Catherine Itell on here and, you know, you know, Catherine real well as do I. And and, and Catherine talks about that a, a leader doesn't always have all the answers and a leader needs to be a little vulnerable and a leader needs to basically say, this is my vision. This is where we're going. I get to choose because I'm the leader. If you want to be the leader, Miss Hygienist or Miss Front Office Person, then go to dental school and get your degree and go open your own dental practice. You're welcome to do that, but I'm the leader. I mean, I wouldn't suggest you say that. That's probably not a good idea. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm you're the leader, and you get to set the vision. But there's nothing wrong with saying to your team, "Hey, I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything." What do you guys think about this? How about interaction with the team? What what do you see with that? Well, I think it's important to ask the team questions all the time to really be asking them, what do they see as struggles in the practice? What are they seeing as things that need to be improved upon? And then asking them for the solutions. We don't want team members to just be complainers, but oftentimes they know a very good answer and it could be something different than what you as the owner recognize. So asking them for their feedback and their suggestions for solutions really helps them have buy-in to the practice and be even more excited about the development of the practice. There's another great book called Rocket Fuel, which I definitely think is worth a read and part of the concept of rocket fuel is creating self-accountability. And I really believe in creating a dental practice where the team members are actively participating in the practice. They're helping create the vision and live out the vision all of the time and can hold themselves accountable for how they're doing. Now, you didn't use the word accountability in the book because you're an accountant, did you? No, definitely not. Okay. I, 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 yeah, I got to watch my guests and make sure they don't go off on the wrong path. All right. So let, let's get into a discussion, Kate, about uh, let, let's start at the beginning. Okay. A dentist is coming out of dental school. You get a dentist, they're graduating dental school. They're probably not going to buy a practice right out of the gate, right? Well, sometimes they might, but typically I find that they work in a practice for at least a year or two before they feel comfortable buying a practice. So when you're advising a brand new dentist out of school, what do you talk to them about? Well, first I talk to them about what type of practice they want to have and where they want to be raising their family if they're going to have a family, what part of the country they want to live in. 
Oftentimes, I hear young dentists coming out of school wanting to follow what they believe the trends are. So if they're hearing about people who are creating multi-practice location, multi-location practices or working in corporate dentistry or they feel like they can't own a practice, then they start to head down that path. But when we stop to really think about who they are as a person and where they truly want to be living, then that helps them get refocused on who they really are and what they want their practice vision to be. And yeah, you know, that that's a great point. I, I I can think of a client of mine who, um, when I took over the financial services division of the Pacific Institute of Management, that's a mouthful. Say that three times fast. Um, uh, it was the day after Labor Day of nineteen eighty four. So I will celebrate my. I had some milestones every five years. I guess uh, I just celebrated my sixtieth birthday last week. We're filming this in late August, and um, I also will be celebrating my thirty fifth. Um, uh, 35th year of, um, of, of, of being a dental CPA. And I remember uh, going back and going to these courses that I went to. And we, we used to do a course at Pride called The Dentist as an, uh, as an Entrepreneur and, and, and really talking to our doctors about what do, they, what do they want. I really believe you should live in the community you work. I, I can think of a doctor. Uh, he was there when I got there 35 years ago. He was a, a young practitioner. Um, he had two kids, a boy and a girl, and every every year I'd look at his uh, financial statement and I'd look at his general ledger, which is where all the checks are and where you find out what they're spending. And under promotion, we would see AYSO soccer, Little League baseball, NJB basketball, all this stuff. And and his his uh, his son became an Eagle Scout, and he built a grassroots community. So uh, talk about how important it is to, if you can, live in the community that you work. I think if you're living in the community where you're working, you really are getting to know your patients so much better because you know what their daily lives are like. You oftentimes know each other on a personal level because I think the most successful practices are those where you have deep relationships with your patients. That's why the patients are coming back to you is for the experience and your practice. You know, sometimes we think that they should be coming to you because of your clinical skills. But I was actually out to lunch last week with someone who was telling me that the reason she goes to her dentist is because of the comfortable blanket they put on her. They give her uh, the warm towel you know, when she arrives and they put on Netflix for her. And that was why she was actually referring another friend of ours to this dentist because that's what's important to her. So I think it's just really important to build those relationships, be a part of the community and really understand what types of care your patients really need and value. Yeah, and that that that's a that that's a that's a really good point. And again, doctors, just think about what what you want to do. I like to see Kate doctors work in two or three or four different practices before they own a practice because you can learn the good, the bad, and the ugly. Work in a PPO practice, maybe work in an HMO practice, work in a, a large corporate setting, uh, and work in if you can get a job in a fee for service practice. And learn as much as you can before you get started. I always say that there's three things in this life that don't come with a how-to book. Children, spouses, and businesses. Um, and, um, you know, I get all three of them. And it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of work. They don't come with a how-to book. And you're going to make mistakes. And if you don't make mistakes, then you're kidding yourself. Because everybody in business has made 
mistakes and and I'm I'm included in that. So all right, so Kate, let's talk about but before we do that, I want you to give out your information. Uh folks, again, um you know, I am a person who works with only the best dental specialists. Um we we've had uh leasing people on this show. We've had attorneys We've had estate planning attorneys. We've had uh, some of the best consultants in the country. Uh, one of my good friends, Dr. Charles Blair, back in North Carolina was on the show. We've had really great people. we got some more great people coming up. So I really believe that you need to work with specialists in the dental world. And, you know, obviously, attorneys and CPAs are one of them. So uh, Kate Wilford's firm is one of the premier dental CPA firms in the country, um, I've listened to Kate speak. I've listened to her at our meetings. She's presented. Uh, she's as good as it gets. So, um, Kate, I'd like to have you give out your contact information if anybody was interested to have a, a question about, you know, entrepreneurship or anything else in uh, a dental CPA world. So why don't you give out your contact information? Well, my name is Kate Williford, CPA, and my phone number is 770-552-8500. And my website is thewillifordgroup.com, and that's spelled T-H-E-W-I-L-L-E-F-O-R-D group.com. And, you know, Art, back to what you were just talking about, about some of the challenges that we're seeing in dentistry right now. I feel like one of the biggest challenges with only working in a corporate practice when you come out of dental school is that you really aren't learning much about the business of dentistry. So I think you're right. Working in a variety of practices is the way to be the most successful if you decide you're going to own your own practice. Because in some of these larger practices, you don't get all of the exposure to how they bring in new patients, how they do the billing up at the front, how they collect the money, and some of the processes and even getting to know the patients because you don't have as much time to spend with the patients sometimes. So I think you're right on with advising that you should really be working in a variety of practices before you take that leap into owning your own. And, and that's great advice. I, I also like to say, I tell my doctors, and again, I, I do repeat myself. You guys have figured that one out after 37 or 38 episodes or whatever we've done, is, is that um, when you go to the dental convention, don't go looking for impression material. Go take courses on how to talk to your patients and how to communicate with your patients. Because as Kate said, you know, Kate and I are very competent CPAs. We know how to get around the tax code. We know the software. We know how to prepare a tax return. We know how to prepare a financial statement. That's almost like the hygiene part of our practice, if you think about it. But you know what 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 you really want to do is get their trust and make sure you show that they care that you care and if you show people that you care and you're genuine and you're not a salesperson you are going to do do really really well so kate let's say we got a doctor who's looking at buying their first practice i want to go up the up the up the ropes here so doctor is going to go buy his first practice or her first practice um and they come to you and they say Huh, what do I do? What do I look for? What, what should what should I be what should I be thinking? Why don't you give give our listeners some advice on that? You know, I think most practices can be the right practice for the right dollar amount, but the question always comes back to is it the right practice for you? 
And the way you determine if it is, is, is it truly in the location where you want to be? I've had dentists who have been in practice for a few years, and then they realize they wish they lived in another part of the country. And that can be an expensive decision to make after you already own a practice in the wrong part of the country. So I think, again, being true to yourself, deciding where you really want the practice to be is the first step. And then the next step is to get pre-qualified, find out what the bank will lend to you so you have a sense for what you would be able to invest in a practice. And then look at the cash flow of the practice. I recommend that you spend a lot of time on the due diligence because it's up to you to make sure that you're buying what you think you're buying because you're going to be the one left having to make that note payment. So you want to truly understand what type of dentistry is being done in this practice. Can you replicate that type of dentistry? What types of changes would you need to make to the overhead in order to be able to create the income that you need in this practice? And does the practice cash flow in the way you expect it to? You really want to examine where the money's going in the practice, what types of overhead there are, and then really make sure that you feel comfortable that that's going to be the size business that you want to run. You're absolutely right. And again, I'm a 35,000 foot guy. Okay. And, and that means I'm looking at, you know, what type of dentistry do I want to do? What part of the, where do I want to be in the community? What types of patients do I want to work on? Do I want a PPO, HMO, fee for service? Do I want to learn uh, other, um, you know, other procedures and other um, uh, revenue streams like sleep, uh, sleep dentistry or placing implants uh, or Invisalign? All these things that, you know, when, when, when I started, you know, back in the Stone Age, uh, you know, like I said, dentists, General dentists did general dentistry. Endodontists did root canals. Periodontists did surgeries and, and implants. Uh, that's all changed. So it just depends on what you want to be. And I think dentistry is coming into a very exciting age and you know, with, with all the new technology and everything like that. So, 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 Kate, so now I got my doctor. They bought their first practice. And it's a pretty daunting thing, isn't it? It really can be because once you own the practice, now you have to learn how to manage it and run it on a day-to-day basis. And there are a lot of systems and procedures that go into that. That's, again, where a practice management consultant can be so helpful. And many of them do offer special arrangements when you have your first business. And they're able to help you create reliable systems that really work and help you even hire staff sometimes. You know, that can be one of the biggest challenges of having your practice is finding the right team members and then, of course, training them the way that you want them to be trained. But, you know, there are so many procedures that you'll be doing in-house and you're going to be focusing on the clinical aspects of the practice that it can be hard to manage the entire team and what's happening up front. I remember one of my clients buying a practice and we couldn't understand why the collections were so low. Well, it turned out the person they had bought the practice from was not used to asking for payment before a patient left the practice each time. So knowing some of those protocols that have been in place and being prepared for how you're going to have your team communicate to the patients what your policies are now is going to be really important because you want to make sure you're collecting the money 
as timely as possible so that you can really cover all of the overhead. I mean, it's even important the first time you meet the dental team. What's the Johnson & Johnson commercial? You never get a second chance to make a first impression. And I always tell doctors when you are going in and you buy that first practice and you meet that dental team, uh, yeah, you can bring in donuts or you can bring in, uh, uh, you know, sandwiches or I mean, whatever you're going to bring in. Um, uh, But what you got to do, I think the first thing, if you're buying a practice or you're in the process of it, the first thing you say is, team, I want to let you know something. My number one priority is the care of our patients. It is what it is. It is what it will be and is what it will always be. And you'll win that team over and you'll find out real quick who's on board with you and who's not. So, Kate, what's the, let's say the first year of a practice. What, what do you think the most important things a doctor should focus on in like their first year once they're, they've gotten over the overwhelm part? Well, you're right. I think focusing on the patient care is one of the most important aspects and one of the ways I see that play out is that you really have to focus on recare and making sure that you're communicating with the patients, taking care of all of their needs, and making sure that they're really coming back on the right schedule so that you can continue your care for them. And, you know, another important thing to keep in mind if you bought a practice and did not do a startup is to not make too many changes to the practice. There will be a few key things that you might have to look at or put on your list to change maybe a year from now, but try to keep as much consistency as you can, not only for the team as they get to know you, but also for the patients and the type of experience they're used to getting. Again, I think building that uh, deep relationship with the patients, it's what's going to become key and it's going to make them want to return to you and see you specifically and see the hygienist that they love. That's right. And and the team is really important because it's so important that your doctors, that you are on the same page with your team. In other words, um, if you think something is a crown and they think it's, uh, you know, a composite restoration, that's a problem. Because what here's what happens, as you know, Kate, right? The, the doctor gives the diagnosis, the patient goes into shock. Oh, my God, I didn't plan on spending $7,000 on that. And then what does the patient do, Kate? They go and ask the assistant and they ask the hygienist, so so do you, do you think this is right? And if the hygienist is sitting there going, hell no, I would never do that treatment, then you got a problem. I mean, do you see that sometimes? Yeah, you know, I do see that sometimes. And I even see it up at the front desk when you've referred a patient to, say, an endodontist or an orthodontist. If the front desk person does not support that referral, then I find that it sometimes doesn't get followed up on and the patient either doesn't get the treatment or goes somewhere else. So I think the entire team really has to be prepared for which patients are coming in that day, what are some themes to be aware of to talk about with the patients, and really encourage the same philosophy that the doctor is uh, believing in. Oh, absolutely. Take a minute, Kate, and talk about um, your participation in the ADCPA and what that's meant to you and your firm. The ADCPA has just been a phenomenal group for me and for my team. 
It's one of the key ways that we learn more about dentistry and stay in touch with not only what's happening in dentistry, but even how to run a CPA firm and the best way to support our dentists. And of course, the ADCPA is just full of some of my best friends and colleagues because they're all amazing at what they do for a living, but they also truly understand what it's like to be an entrepreneur in this dental world. Yeah, and that, that is that is really really important. Now I know you speak to the dental schools. Um, I don't I don't know how many you do. You probably know how many you do. And what what are you telling the dental students today about a future in dentistry? And 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 um, what are you hearing back from them? Yeah, you know I teach at four dental schools around the country, and I think what I have seen change in the classes that I've been teaching now for over twenty years is that there's more fear in the graduating dentists than there used to be. They're very afraid of the student loan debt that they have. They're afraid that they won't be able to get enough money to buy a practice. They're afraid that they're going to have to do a different type of dentistry than they want to do. So I think it's important for us to all support these dentists and help them understand that they can buy practices and that they can still create the ideal business that they want to create because there are so many patients to be able to help. And as we know, there's a large portion of the public that doesn't even have dental insurance. So it's so possible to build a fee-for-service practice, especially if you're doing it in a location where there's not much competition and where you can create relationships with the patients and just treat them the right way. Yeah, and, and you can do that. I have I have doctors who uh, have said I'd cut off my left arm before I would discount my fees. And um, uh, I always I always quote one of my dear dear friends. I, I talk about him a lot on our podcast. This is uh, Gary Takis, and Gary talks about calling a PPO a marketing expense because that's what it is. You're paying the insurance company to basically send you patients. And uh, you know we at the ADCPA have have gone backwards and forwards uh, over this topic and. You know, you just can't make money. I mean, to, it, make, make it simple. If 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 you go with a PPO and they're having you charge, uh, you you charge one hundred and ten dollars uh, for a pro fee and eleven ten, and uh, you know your fee uh, with the PPO is seventy. You know that that's a discount of forty dollars. That's your profit margin. You can't make any money. You're going to work harder and 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 make less. And um, you know, we we talk about uh, reducing dependency for insurance. That's not what this show is about today. Uh, but I would encourage you to look at that. Look at in-house dental plans. Look at marketing to g- groups of people, companies that don't have dental insurance. It takes some effort, but you can definitely do it. Let's talk a little bit, Kate, about, uh, and I don't want to get into the specific types of retirement plans because we've talked about that on the show, but in, in a, in a high-level high 35,000-foot sense, or if you don't want to go to 35,000, maybe it's a little too cloudy up there. You want to go 30,000. I'm good with that. All right. Maybe what you do is just talk about in general terms, how do you talk to your doctors about retirement? Why is it important? Gosh, I think it's so important to save for retirement because you really want to get to the point in your life where you're working because you choose to, but not because you financially have to. And I think part of that is knowing how to run the business in such a way that you're creating enough cash flow to be able to save for the future and whatever that might look like to you. 
you know, retirement has changed a lot in the last few years because we're finding more people working for a longer period of time, a longer number of years, but not working as hard. Maybe they're working fewer days a week. And, you know, back to what you were just talking about with the PPOs and how you actually earn your money. I think it's key to know what your break even is for the practice and determining how much you need to collect to not only cover the overhead and thus possibly be able to remain fee for service, but also how much money you need to collect to be able to cover things like your retirement savings. And in a sense, you're paying yourself first by setting aside this money for retirement. You know, many of my clients want to find the biggest tax deductions they can. And some of the best tax deductions are still saving for retirement by using a combination retirement plan, you know, where you can combine a 401k plan and a defined benefit plan. And it's very possible to be saving $150,000 or more a year through a combination of these plans. And that gives you a way to save for your own future, but hopefully to be able to help your team encourage savings as well. And in a way that's affordable and helps them to be able to have a better quality of life when they're ready to retire. That's right. And I I unfortunately, as do you, Kate, I I don't know any of your clients, but I can guarantee you all of us, the ADCPA have clients who sadly we know will never retire. They've made bad business decisions. They've overspent. Um, I have doctors that they they almost laugh about it. And it's, it's very sad. So one of the things in, in, in that I know that we all do in the ADCPA is we really sit down and we we try and help our doctors uh, to you know pick a date when you retire. I did a program on retirement 101 and Arch Golden Rules, and I said pick a date to retire right here, right now. You may not retire. Uh, you may sell your practice, work back, um, but the money doesn't go bad. And I guarantee you, you know, again, just turn sixty, and I still have a great passion for working with dentists, and I love what I do. But I'll tell you what, guys, you get, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you get a little tired sometimes and maybe you don't want to go as hard and maybe you want to travel a little more. Uh, I just got back from 12 days in Alaska. If you have never been to Alaska, go to Alaska. It is one of the most beautiful places I have ever, ever been to. Um, you know, so Kate's going to. Well, you know, Art, what I've seen too as another trend in dental school is I feel like young dentists want to start saving for retirement a lot sooner than ever before. And I feel like I have more of my clients now actually maximizing their IRA contributions. They're wanting to know how they set up a 401k plan. And they're oftentimes earning so much money working for corporate that they do have a way to be able to set aside significant money while paying their student loans. So I think it's exciting that we're starting to see a trend shift there that oftentimes dentists really are thinking more about how to be able to save and how to live within their means. And that's really key is living living within your means. I talked to a doctor today, one of my, gosh, I think he's been with me 25 years, Kate, and he, he, you know, he just sold his, he sold a specialty practice. And I was talking to his wife and he says, uh, she, I, said to, I said to her, I said, how's he feeling? He says, on the last day he walked out of the office, he was doing cartwheels. And I said, um, you know, we've done some planning. How, 
are you guys, you guys, I think you're all set. And they said, oh, yeah, we're really good. We're really excited. They're going to do charity work. They're going to travel overseas. Um, you know, it just you, you want to be able to do what you want to do when you want to do it and how you want to do it. So the last thing I want to get into today, because uh, as much as I, I love talking to you, Kate, you're one of my dear, dear friends in this group. Um, and uh, it's just really fun. You, you and I never have a <laughs> ceased to have something to talk about. <laughs> That's right. That's true. Is is the uh, you know? So now we got a doctor that may be in their you know early fifties, mid fifties, late fifties, and they're thinking about you know now it's time. So walk us through some of the things that you talk to your clients who are maybe three, five, seven years out from retirement. What should they start? thinking about doing? How should they be planning? What what should they be doing? Well, that is one of the most important aspects of it is to start planning at least four years in advance for the succession plan for your practice, because you don't know what type of buyer you're going to find and how long it's going to take to find that buyer and how long that buyer may want you to continue to work with them. So I do believe in planning as far in advance as possible And even if you're a very young dentist who's listening today, I believe you should be putting in in place plans for any type of emergency that may occur as well. You know, I believe in adding a codicil to your will. So you state someone that your family can call if needed to help sell your practice. And I also think it's important to be thinking about even the plans of, um, you know, who you might have as colleagues that could help cover for you in an emergency. Sometimes just talking to your study club can be a helpful way to have a group of you that all agree to cover for each other. But I think, you know, really planning in advance for what type of buyer you want to look for, whether or not you do want to work with someone else and for how many years, and even what types of dentistry you want to be doing. I've had a few clients who have decided that they do want to go into sleep apnea, and so they're spending their time doing that type of care for patients, even though they've sold the practice and they have their uh, GP doctor doing the rest of the work. So you might find a situation where you can change the types of dentistry you're doing and still work for a very long time, but maybe only work one or two days a week. So I encourage you to think about exactly what you want that succession plan to be and to plan ahead so that you don't leave your patients hanging and that you don't leave your employees in a lurch either. I think it's best if you can design exactly what you want the succession plan to be so that your employees are cared for and your patients are cared for instead of just closing the doors and not finding the perfect fit. And I do find, because again, folks, I'm a broker, I've sold... 125 practices. We we kind of have a boutique type of a of a of a brokerage, and it's interesting. I I thought when I get started on this journey, Kate, that I would just see doctors. Oh, just give me a check and I'm good. I'm out of here. No, no. The dentists are some of the most caring human beings I've ever met, and for I would say 75 percent of them, they tell me I am going to be very very picky who I sell my practice to. And have you seen that? I have seen that. You're right, because I think dentists really care about their patients. They care about their team, and they really want to do right by all of them. 
And especially if the dentist is going to be working for a few more years, then it's really important that uh, both of you can work well together and that you have the same ethics and core values and the ideal way that you want to treat your patients. So I do really find that dentists are very caring for their patients and they really want to find the right person that's going to carry on the vision of the practice. And again, if you're in Southern California, you're in Atlanta, where Kate is originally from, uh, or you're in New York City, you get a lot more dentists to choose from. But if you are in the heartland of Wyoming, um, your practice uh, purchase pool uh, is limited. So if you're living, living in a rural area, you might have to start a year or two years in advance. If you're a specialist, uh, I mean, we've got some doctors that have had their specialty practices for sale for two, three, four years, and they can't sell, not because they're bad practices, but again, the market has changed. So you've got to think about the vision of what, you know, what, what do you want to do in retirement? And also, what do you want to do after retirement, Kate? I mean, when you talk to your doctors, when, what, what do you advise them as far as what is their next life going to look like? And I'm sure that's kind of scary. Yeah, I think it can require a big change in their lifestyle. And they're used to going into an office every day, and now they don't have to. I think for many of my dentists, the right fit is for them to continue working for one or two days a week, but only doing the type procedures they enjoy doing and working with the patients that they've worked with for 15 years or more. So they really want to be able to spend time with them and, and with their kids. So I think thinking about exactly what you would do in your free time is important so you can design this the right way. And, you know, as unusual as it sounds, sometimes I encourage my clients to work with a practice management consultant even two years before the sale date so they can actually make the practice even larger to not only be able to bring in more revenue from the sale, but also to have a bigger practice that could support one and a half dentists or sometimes more so that they can continue working part-time enjoy the patients and seeing the team, but not have to be the one that has to walk away because the practice is too small to support more than one doctor. And I get that. I was just, as you were saying that, I was thinking the same thing. And I get that all the time. I had a doctor the other day said, well, Art, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to sell my practice and I want to work back two days a week, maybe two and a half. I said, great, doc. What, what's your practice producing? Oh, we're doing about 600000 a year. I go, not happening. He said, well, what do you mean? It's my practice. I go, there's not enough money for you to sell your practice, have, have the, the buyer pay their loan debt, pay their personal expenses, pay their taxes, and pay you uh, as an associate. There's not enough money. I've run the numbers, and I don't know if you have, 1.2 to 1.4 million is about the sweet spot. If you If you can get your practice up to that, then you've got a great opportunity to be able to work back a couple of days a week. And doctors, if you're at 900,000, think of it this way as a business owner. You want to get from 900 to, to 1.2, okay? That's, let's break it down. It sounds like a lot, $300,000. Uh, again, you know, because it, this is the art of dental finance, we must use numbers. 300,000, 25,000 a month, 
working 16 days. And again, that's why I keep my phone next to me. So 25,000 divided by 16. Let's get to that. So what's that? 25,000. Let's just do divided by 15 days because most of us do that. That's $1,666 a day. That's one, maybe a little more than one crown a day, maybe one additional hygiene patient a day. I mean, it doesn't take that much if you're watching the numbers, right? That's right. And if you know what your break even is for the practice, then you know how much of that additional income is going to go straight to the bottom line to be able to use uh, to invest back in the business. So maybe you're growing it some more or to invest in different types of technology. So you have an even more competitive practice or to be able to save for retirement for the future. It just gives you so much more flexibility, the more income that you can be bringing into the practice. You know, some clients will tell me that they don't want to make more money because they don't want to have to pay more taxes. But even though you have taxes that you have to pay, you're normally keeping well over 55%, oftentimes even more than 60% of that money that's coming in. And that can go to reinvest in the business or put into your pocket. So I think making the practice as large as it needs to be to support your long-term quality of life is the most important thing. All right. Well, we've come to about the end of our time, Kate, uh, as I hate to always say. Uh, any last tips for our dentists? We have dentists you know, all over the country. Uh, we've been downloaded in 58 countries, all the states in the United States, uh, we're approaching 20,000 people have downloaded our podcast, which again, thank you so much, everybody. Um, and, and Kate is such a wealth of knowledge. A- any final words of advice for the dentists out there listening? Well, that's just amazing, Art. And congratulations on all the downloads. I think no matter what country you're in or what state you're in, it's just very important to think about who you really are as a person, what type of business you want to own or what type of business you want to work in, and to design your quality of life and your income around those goals. I think just to stay true to that mission and creating the right vision for whatever practice you're in is really going to carry you a long way. Okay, one more time. Uh, If you want to get a hold of Kate, she is more than happy to chat with you, whether you're going to become a client, not become a client, you have a question, because we at the ADCPA, we all have a passion for helping dentists. I mean, I can't tell you how many times all of us, we get on the phone with somebody. I had a doctor call me. I was, uh, where was I? I was in Northern California and a doctor called me, got my cell phone number and said, Art, I have a question. I'm in New York state and I have a question about insurance. Can you help me? I said, sure. And we talked for maybe five, 10 minutes. And he says, you have to send me a bill. I said, well, unless I scratch it out on a piece of paper on the hotel uh, stationery, I can't do that. So don't worry about it. We want to help. Um, the dental profession has provided a, a a great opportunity for all of us at the ADCPA um, uh, to uh, to do what we do best. So, Kate, I want to thank you so much. One more time, give out your contact information. Okay, I'd be happy to help any of your listeners. And again, my name is Kate Williford, CPA. My phone number is 770-552-8500. My website is www.thewillifordgroup.com. And my email address is katew at thewillifordgroup.com. That's K-A-T-E-W. 
at T-H-E-W-I-L-L-E-F-O-R-D-Group.com. Thanks so much for having me, Art. This was so much fun spending time with you. See, she's not only good at numbers, she's good at letters too. Very clear, enunciating. You got to love that. I've got to, well, I got rid of my New York accent 45 years ago when I moved away. Uh, my brother still got it. And uh, he, to this day, he's not happy that I have it, but Kate enunciated very well. And again, let me give out some information before we close the show. If you want to get a hold of me, please give me a call at 714 259 uh, our website is www.hmwccpa.com. Go to the resources tab, click on podcast. You'll be able to see all the podcasts. You'll be able to see Kate's podcast, uh, which will be um, uh, published in late August. And you'll have all her contact information in the show notes of what we're going to talk about. Uh, and if you are not working with a dental-specific CPA, I will come and haunt you guys. So think of me. I'm a big guy. You know, I'm six foot two, and I'm going to come get you if you don't work with a dentist. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to haunt you. I'm actually a very nice guy. I'm a softie. And what I want you to do is go to www.adcpa.org, click on our map, and you know we have uh, 24 amazing CPA firms. We work with over 9,000 dentists, and these are the best in the country, I can guarantee you. So everyone, thank you for listening. Please tell everyone about our podcast. We are just honored at the uh, you know the phone calls we're getting, the feedback we're getting. We've got some amazing guests coming up here in the future. Um, and I want to thank you again uh, for your time. And again, please tell your friends, download the podcast on, I, uh, on your iPhone or your Android. And my name is Art Wiederman. The name of the show is The Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman CPA. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.